Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you've all been good boys and girls out there. Now, make sure you watch the message. Up on the screen, there's going to be secret messages that you've got to encode. You all have a Merry Christmas. Oh, it's a busy time. i got to go. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I love some of those ugly sweaters out there today. Darren wasn't willing to wear the Buddy the Elf costume, so John had to do it. Uh, thank you to the Westridge Kids Choir. You guys were fantastic. Amazing voices, as always. Thank you. And thank you to Katie Van Geem and her team. They make this possible every year for us, so we are just grateful for that moment this morning. You guys really set the stage as we continue to talk about this first ancient Christmas. Now, kids, like Santa said this morning, be sure to watch on the corner of the screen for clues to figure out our secret message today. Today... I'd like to start with a story, maybe some of you know it. We read this to our kids every Christmas, and it is called Who is Coming to Our House by Joseph Slade. It's really cute. Here we go. Who is coming to our house? Someone, someone, says mouse. Make room, says pig. I will butt aside the rig. We must clean, says lamb. Dust the beams, says ram. Who's coming to our house? Someone, someone, says mouse. Sweep the earth, says chick. Stack the hay, says goose, and quick. Spin new webs, says spider. I will line the crib with eider. Who's coming to our house? Someone, someone, says mouse. Someone's coming from afar. I will nose the door ajar. But it's dark, says cat. They will never come, says rat. Yes, they'll come, says mouse. Someone's coming to this house. I will lay an egg, says hen. I will spread my tail for them. Who is coming to our house? Mary and Joseph whispers mouse. Welcome, welcome to our house. This story shares the animals getting ready their home for the birth of Jesus. We learned last week about how this ancient Christmas is imperative to our faith and how God's plan was set into motion all the way back at the beginning. Jesus and this themes about a great rescuer and a king coming to this world are found all over the Bible. So today we're going to look at a couple other prophecies of the Old Testament and how that came into fulfillment centuries later in Jesus' birth. To recap from last week, true prophecy simply means it is a prediction or a promise from God of something that will happen in the future. It is an I will statement from him. Because of our culture, we can be a little leery around the world prophecy. So I just think about when I go into Walmart and you go down that as seen on TV aisle. There's a lot of half-truths going on there. In our world, we hear about things that never really become fulfilled. And we're fortunate enough to see how God's book, the Bible, comes into fruition or fulfillment which is the achievement 
of something promised. This is a statement from God saying, I did. And the amount of prophecy found in the Bible that comes to fruition is astounding. And again, we're just covering just the tiniest amount today. Like the title of the book, Who is Coming to Our House? The Bible answers that question for us. We're going back to the book of Isaiah this morning, and this was a really sad time for Jerusalem. The people there chose not to follow God, and they didn't want to listen to his rules. Another example of how the Bible showcases this continuous cycle of wanting to choose ourselves over him as king in our life. You just think about all the way back to Adam and Eve, and you just travel along the Bible. It's just this constant cycle. And that's why God needed to send Jesus as our one true king, our great redeemer for our lives. The prophet of Isaiah was told in God by a dream to go to the people of Jerusalem and the leaders and warn them about what they were doing against God. So Isaiah spoke God's brutal truth, but he also wanted to bring them hope. One prophecy we're going to look at today is found in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Isaiah said this, A child is born to us, a son given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. Isaiah is pointing the people to a king, a ruler unlike what they currently know. He spoke to them day in and day out, and most likely he was ignored. But with his warnings, God also wanted to share hope. Hope of what was coming to them in the form of an amazing leader. A king who would be in the lineage of King David. I believe the minor prophet, Shrek, all right, said it best to Donkey. Sometimes things are more than they appear. And the way God fulfilled this prophecy was unlike anyone would suspect. A king coming into this world as a baby birthed to an unwed, poor mother, humbly among animals. You may remember Greg a couple weeks back. He talked about Jesus' family tree. And at the end of Jesus' genealogy is Joseph. Joseph was the earthly father that raised him as his own. And the Jewish people Isaiah was talking to long ago, they've been waiting centuries for a Messiah to come and continue this lineage of King David. So why does this really matter? Well, you know when you run into somebody from high school and they immediately want to discuss the glory days and how many touchdowns they had that one homecoming game? It's kind of like that. The Jewish people remember when their kingdom was at its peak of power and influence. God promised David and his descendants in 2 Samuel. He told David, God did, that one day his uh, kingdom would be a part of an everlasting dynasty that would affect the whole world. So if Jesus is a descendant of David, then it represents that Jesus is a true king. To know Jesus was in David's genealogy would have caused very much excitement for God's people. 
We went over this first last week, but I wanted to touch how this came into fruition on this important fact. And God fulfilled his word to David. It says in Luke 1.30, the angel assured Mary, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. When we get to delve into these intricacies of God and his word, we get to realize all the hidden details, these little Easter eggs that he accounted for. And we are able to see the beauty of 2 Corinthians 1.20 that says whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. He will continue to stamp each one of his promises for us with yes. Isaiah knew he was coming someday, and this king would make everything right again. For not only for the people of Jerusalem, but also for us. Isaiah told them that there would be a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make straight a highway for our God in the desert. When I see this word prepare in that verse, it makes me think that a lot of us are cleaning up and getting ready for the holidays. Um, I need to clean out my guest room so somebody can sleep in there and be comfortable. But what usually happens with those guest rooms in our house? It just becomes a dumping ground, right? There are things we need to take to goodwill. There's random odds and ends that don't have a home. Leftover school projects from two years ago that nobody wants to get rid of. And with two kids, I'm pretty sure there's an old sandwich in there somewhere. It just gets junked up, right? Like those spaces in our homes or maybe at your work, God wants us to continually prepare our hearts for him. Because how are we to honor the king of kings when we have all that old baggage, that shame, emotions, and hurts just jam-packed inside it? In this Christmas season, we want to prepare or create space for the king, like the animals did in preparing their manger for Jesus. It's choosing to do the work to make our hearts ready for a mighty God to be part of of our lives. The word prepare can give us a sense of getting ready and in place, and this can happen anytime. But Christmas, it can give us a real gut check. How are you preparing a space for God in your life? Maybe that's taking the time, just a few moments away from the Christmas to-do list, to truly listen and talk to him. Or it's spending time with those who are going to tell you the hard truths, and they're going to spur you on and point you towards him. Or maybe it's being in his word to better understand what he wants to share with you. It's about preparing not only in this Christmas season, but what God has in store for us for 2020. After Jesus' birth, God was preparing him for his ministry. And when he was around 30 years old, John the Baptist arrives on the scene. He was Jesus' distant cousin, and he urged people to get ready. John the Baptist said, I am the voice in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord just as, the, as Isaiah the prophet said. And like that, 
Fulfillment took place right there. Some of the ways that we can do this in our lives, to set things straight in our hearts, is seeking first the kingdom of God. And what do I mean by that is, are we constantly choosing ourselves like the people of Jerusalem? Or are you willing to allow God to rule in your life? As humans, we have a tendency to harden our hearts, be unwilling to budge on certain ideals, and we can be prideful. And with that attitude, all of us should get a lump of coal. But God, he wants us to guard our hearts. And when we pray, it's just a simple conversation with him, asking him so that we can be more tender, willing, and humble. It allows us to be more sensitive to how he wants us to live. He leaves it up to us to choose. He doesn't force us. He allows our choice to hang in the balance. I heard the other day that one of the greatest ironies of Christmas is that we get all these presents wrapped up and we forget to unwrap the greatest gift of all, Jesus. He is for you. And he wants you to have a willing heart with tenderness and humility and so much more. Do you really want to continue into that state of wilderness or darkness that John talked about alone? Or are you going to start letting him prepare your heart? In the story I read earlier, the rat declares, but it's dark. They will never come. He's a little bit of a downer, isn't he? But as we talked about God's timing last week, it's hard for us to understand God's plan, especially when it seems like there is a cloud of darkness or we feel that we are just lost in the wilderness in our current life. The people of Jerusalem were right in that place of the unknown, and they were choosing themselves over God. They haven't seen any hope or just a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. They do feel like they are in the dark, just waiting for someone to flip on that switch. But when? Who? And how? One Christmas movie that exudes that sense of waiting, frustration, anticipation, hope, and joy is this. Clark, he decorates his house to celebrate the Griswold family Christmas. He spends a good majority of that movie trying to have Christmas just right. And there are moments of joy like that clip, but the rest of the movie, we see the reality of life, work, family, stress. And we laugh because the reality is it partially resonates with ours. If we take a minute and assess, are you in a dark spot or can you see 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights in the distance? Is your soul filled with joy and hope or is it a combination of frustration, a dash of loneliness, family tension and anxiety covered up in scotch tape and with a big bow on it? 
In Isaiah's time, the whole world was in a hot mess. They were waiting for the king to appear and feel something. And I think that's why the lyrics of O Holy Night, they mean so much. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Jesus cares about our soul and what speaks to it. Laughter with friends, fresh cookies out of the oven, warm fire crackling, helping others, the pure goodness, snuggling in under clean sheets, and seeing snow draped across the ground, eventually for us. I hope there's a moment that you can recall something that has impacted your soul. I want you to think about it right now. What is that moment for you? Now imagine that times 100. His worth, it is unimaginable. How could you not want your soul to feel like that all the time? Wrapped up in a blanket was our wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Jesus was welcomed by his earthly parents, the animals, and local shepherds. And sometime later, the wise men found their way to this new family. These wise men, or magi, they were scholarly men who studied the scriptures and believed the word of God and his prophecies. They gave their lives to it. They were dedicated to finding this king, the baby Jesus. And even as a baby, they recognized the value of this little child and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, have you ever wondered why they would show up to a baby shower with these gifts? It should be no surprise that our man, Isaiah, shared seven centuries before that the people will bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. I do find it interesting that these gifts, they can represent a whole lot more for us. These valuable items were appropriate gifts to honor a king in the ancient world. Gold as a precious metal, frankincense as perfume or incense, and myrrh as an anointing oil. A gift of gold was given to those in royal status, and the wise men, they recognized Jesus, his rule as king. The gift of frankincense would have been used by high priests to sprinkle on sacrifices at the temple. And myrrh was an ointment used to heal and to embalm corpses. Well, it seems like an odd gift to give a child. These men understood that from studying the Old Testament, Jesus, he would eventually have to endure suffering for us. These gifts are foreshadowing what is going to happen to this child one day, and it beautifully connects how this king, Jesus, he is our true high priest, and he sacrificed himself for us on the cross, and he chose to die so that we could have endless peace. The wise men role allows us to recognize how Jesus, he was worthy of our admiration. My first and favorite role in theater was when I was Sandy the dog in our seventh grade production of Annie. 
Now, this was before I got contacts, so my director even let me wear my glasses. And before you laugh about this role, just think about it. I was able to be on stage 90% of the time. I had absolutely no lines, and the audience, they loved me. Because I knelt and crawled around, I had these huge knee pads to protect me as I became, I really became Sandy the dog. And I didn't do it just once, because then in eighth grade, I also chose to play Toto uh, on Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Okay. I kept those pictures for a reason. As humorous as this is, When you think about it, it gave me a better understanding of kneeling. Because when we kneel down, it's not threatening. There are proposals on bended knee. We lower ourselves to talk to a child. And people kneel kneel before kings and queens. It is a posture out of respect, sometimes mourning, or admiration. It allows us to feel vulnerable and at times requesting protection. Not only physically, but emotionally, we need to be on our knees before God. If he is our king of kings, how have we allowed ourselves to come before him this morning? It's possible that this is the first time that you have realized that the baby Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. You may have a new sense of gratitude for him. Maybe we're in a place of mourning. We've had a hard time this last season. Or ultimately, it's admiration that his promise came into his world for us to offer hope. Many of us don't like being vulnerable, especially with others. We didn't grow up showing emotion or we don't want to be seen as weak or needing help. But Jesus is telling us that's okay to feel emotionally exposed with him. He is the most wonderful counselor. And when we kneel down before him, there is safety at his feet. You are greatly loved by a savior born to poor parents without significance. And he just wants us to come as we are. And everyone is welcome to bow down at our king's feet. So kids... The answer to the puzzle is, Jesus is our greatest what? King. Thank you to that one adult. All right. Okay. So, would it be okay if I taught you a song this morning? I learned this song as I taught preschool Sunday school way back when, and I'm sure these kids in these pictures, they're probably married and have their own children by now. Um, This is a very simple message, and while it is a lot of fun, It sums up why we are grateful to celebrate this Christmas. It goes like this. I'll sing it, and then you can help in. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, he is the King. All right, you got it? It's very simple. Let's follow it along. Come on, kids. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus, 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 
Jesus, oh, he is the king. All right, I want to see a little bit more jazz hands this time, okay? Here we go. We're going to go fast because it's more fun that way. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, he is the king. All right, all right. So this Christmas... Remember, a child, he was born to us. He is named our wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Whatever this Christmas season brings you, whatever is on your heart, he is willing to carry it for you on his shoulders. God's promise to us was filled and it was stamped with yes at that first ancient Christmas. He will forever be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his name is Jesus. And he, he is the King.